I mean, she's our last line of defense. It's her or a Labour government, yet more state control, yet more, I mean, you know, she's the last line of defense. I, 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 think, I think the UK is very close. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, I know you told me on Tuesday that you wanted to give the new Prime Minister a fair chance to settle in, to come up with some useful policies, but financial markets never sleep. The pound has slumped to the lowest level since 1985 in the first days in office for Liz Trust, so they're giving their verdict. I think it's time for you to offer some of your constructive criticism. Well, the pound was in free fall anyway. The pound's been in free fall for some time. Partly dollar strength, of course, but if you look over the last week, it's been falling against the euro as well. So this was happening before she took office. Uh, we're sort of 15% down for the year. Uh, we're looking vulnerable. We're right at a break point here. If we, if we, if we move the centre too lower, there'll be hedge funds selling, you know, the gnomes of Zurich will be selling it like Billio. Um, she, I think it's important to judge people not necessarily by their past, but by what they're saying now. And I do want to give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, she's our last line of defence. It's her or a Labour government, yet more state control, yet more... I mean, you know, she's the last line of defence. I, 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 think, I think the UK is very close. I think we're on a precipice. If we fall off it, I think confidence in the country from foreign direct investment and everything else could absolutely collapse. So it's a really key moment. She... She said, after she won the leadership contest, I was elected as a Conservative and I was governed as a Conservative. Well, you could have knocked me down with a feather. I mean, we haven't heard that for 40 years. <laughs> I mean, you know. And when Starmer in the House of Commons yesterday said, and what about these energy companies making all this money? Let's have another windfall tax. She just said no. He was so taken aback that he asked the same question again. And she said no again. Boris would have mumbled and stumbled and then shifted position, as he did with everything. So she has read the economics textbooks. It's clear that she actually does believe in free markets and on energy. Well, I was drinking with a cabinet minister last night, funnily enough, one of the new cabinet ministers. By the way, the Rishiites, the globalists are all out. They're literally all gone. She's got rid of the whole lot. She's put her own people in now. She has to manage that division within the party, of course. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. I think that the, the fact that she says we will frack is good. The fact that she's going to allow it to be down to local referendums means it could drag it out forever. Look, we can declare force majeure over many things in this country when we go to war. We are in a real crisis. She should be doing that now. So she's heading, she's turning the ship in the right direction, away from that bumbling idiot, Johnson, who frankly left us more vulnerable than we've ever been. But, there's, but, but there is more to do. So look, you know, there, there is now an ideological divide between Labour and Conservative. We haven't seen that for decades. Economics, economic debate is going to become a major part of this country. I think the markets, you know, capping the, capping the price, signing a blank check is 
obviously politically popular short term, but dangerous, very dangerous longer term. Uh, she's going to cut taxes. She won't raise corporation tax. If the markets see that that is allied to genuine supply side reform to lift the burden off business, and if the markets believe that the UK is going to turn towards energy independence, then I think the pound, then I think she could turn this around as far as this as far as this decline in the pound. I mean, but all of these are big asks. I mean, this is not easy for somebody just walking into number 10. And she's probably got between now and Christmas to do this. Um, after that, it'll be too late. So it's a heck of a responsibility on her shoulders. And that's why I want to give her, for now, the benefit of the doubt. Let's focus a bit more on, on energy policy specifically, because the issue with energy policy is that it's one hell of a turning circle. Even if you do decide to turn the ship around, it takes so long to get more supply online when it comes to gas, more power stations built and so on and so forth. How many rough winters is it going to take, even if she does everything right, before there's some sort of, you know, I guess, tolerable energy bills in the UK? Two. This, this could be onshore gas, if you move, you know, and yeah, there are going to be protests, judicial reviews. I mean, I know all that. Massive Russian propaganda, you know, funding all these groups. We know all that. But actually, within two years, we could have a much more sustainable gas industry in the United Kingdom. You know, we can't do it to save ourselves for this winter. I get that. But again, you talked about the markets. The markets want to see a signal of where we're going and, and whether there is genuine intent. Europe is in a complete blooming mess on this. I remember, I, I remember the debates in the European Parliament about fully forming a common energy policy. If we'd done that, the situation would be even worse than it is today. But it just goes to show you the political correctness of the European Union, the bowing down to all things they think are popular and cool and good. Um, St. Greta from Sweden, that slightly disturbed 17-year-old, um, you know, was, was treated like the second coming of the Lord. Um, and that's why Europe is in the mess that it's in. We have more ability to get out of this than they do if we're prepared to pick up the baton and run with it. You know, what does Germany do? And unless she goes back to burning coal, in a I mean, she's burning some anyway, unless she goes back to mining and burning coal in a huge, huge way, I don't see what her way out is for the next couple of years. I expected a lot of these issues when it comes to gas affordability and electricity to spread around the world because energy markets are quite global, not completely, but quite global. And that hasn't happened. And the, the center uh, of, the, of the energy crisis has very much stayed in Europe. And I'm wondering why that is. Uh, you know, you mentioned that Greta Thunberg and, and that whole story. Well, all of the other countries around the world were towing the line, you know, at the publicity meetings and, and you know, on their rhetoric and yet the, you know the american the australians for example they've got coal exports as their number one export replaced iron ore you've got the canadians lots of gas lots of oil you've got the americans lots of gas lots of oil for a while they were self-sufficient and that was caused by a huge boom in production starting in 2008 so while everyone was towing the line at all of these international meetings the europeans were the only ones dumb enough to actually do it and oh, they yes. made themselves reliant on the russians now there's a lot of countries reliant on russia for, for, for energy, Japan, for example, but they're not dumb enough to then sanction Russia. So it seems to me only the Europeans have got this that badly wrong. How, do, yeah, how mean, did they get there? One of the reasons I wanted to leave the European Union, I felt all their macro judgments were pretty much wrong on everything, you know, group think all round. The Italian elections will be very interesting. 
Um, Salvini and Maloney are both saying quite strongly, these Russian sanctions aren't working, they're hurting us more than they're hurting Russia. So we may well, by the end of this month, have an Italian government, but we probably will have an Italian government, coalition government, Berlusconi part of it too, um, that starts to turn things around. You know, everywhere you look, yes, we've got our problems here. Absolutely, we have. But everywhere you look with inside the European Union, you see division and conflict on literally everything from social issues to energy issues to sanctions, um, a euro that broke 99 cents against the dollar yesterday. Um, and yeah, some pretty severe political ramifications to come over the course of the next couple of years. And the Hungarians are doing Russian gas deals as well. So there seems to be a big split um, between, but I, I really want to stand still that how did Europe get to where it is? Do you think, do you agree? Did they just buy into energy policy based on climate change or, or is, there, is it because of the Russian issue? Where was the no, big- any, any PC project, any PC thing, Brussels goes along with, whatever it is, you know, from not including the word Christian in their attempted constitution to, as I say, I mean, I was there when Greta Thunberg turned up in the parliament. I mean, they all stood and cheered as if, as I, I thought Jesus had come back. Um, you know, this is the mindset that you're dealing with in Brussels. It is a, it is a, a very, very cocooned a group of bureaucrats and politicians living the high life, trying to show their moral virtue to themselves and the rest of the world. I feel like the politicians and policymakers in the rest of the world are looking at all this absolutely mystified by what the Europeans have done. Nigel, thanks very much for joining us. Everyone home, thanks for watching.